It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, inventor of the phrase, Okie Dokie, and America's college recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. Because we were playing in Las Vegas and had records out, but none of them had become hits. And in talking to uh, one of the guys that were in charge of uh, record deals, he kind of told me what reality was. He said, gee, how long have you guys been in the business? I said, oh, 15 years. He said, well, I'll be honest with you, it's going to be very tough for you to continue to get a record deal if you haven't had a hit yet. So with that information, I went, wow, I've got to change careers. Hey coach, welcome to what I think is going to be a very special edition of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. You're going to learn some things about recruiting through selling and and from somebody that wasn't a natural born salesperson, didn't think they would ever learn how to sell and ended up building a second career being a fantastic salesperson because he took the time to learn how to do it. The person I'm talking about is Jim Holvey, and the song that we just uh, played was maybe familiar if you're an older coach or a fan of, of 1960s rock and roll. His song, Kind of a Drag, by the group The Buckinghams, reached number one on the Billboard charts in February of 1967. It stayed there for two weeks, and it solidified Jim Holvey as one of the top songwriters at that time uh, for rock and roll music. He later went on and uh, was in a band called The Mob, which toured around the country and and really had this career developing in rock and roll. And what I want you to learn from him today is, again, what I just talked about. He didn't think he would ever learn how to sell because he didn't need to. He was in a rock band. He was getting the girls. He was traveling, playing clubs, partying at the Playboy Mansion. He never thought that he would need to learn sales skills. But then as you're going to hear in this interview, uh, things changed in the music industry and with their band, and it was something that that he then transitioned into reluctantly, as you'll hear him, as you'll hear him tell it. But uh, something that he decided he needed to learn how to do it and do it well, and he did. The other part of, of the Jim Holvey story that I want to share is how it relates directly to me. I get asked a lot, hey, Dan, how'd you, how did you learn how to sell, or how did you make the transition from television into, into sales and marketing and, and sort of becoming this, this expert in that field? Well, I credit Jim Holvey with a big part of that because as somebody in my mid-20s coming out of a television sportscasting career, uh, this is back in the, in the 1990s, early 1990s, I had no idea how to sell. I had no idea uh, all of the concepts and the philosophies and the principles that really were proven that made salespeople, good ones anyway, what they are. And I went to work out of television for uh, a, a large national company, at the time very influential in the business world, Pitney Bowes. And Pitney Bowes 
manufactured everything from copiers to mailing and shipping systems. And, and that's really the, the, the area that I was in was mailing and shipping systems for businesses. Uh, so there I was in my early, mid-20s. And uh, and learning basically how to uh, how to uh, how to have a new career and and hopefully to do it well and I was fortunate enough to have as my sales manager at the time Jim Holvey uh, now just to give you an idea of who Jim Holvey is as a person he is like the really cool uncle that you just love hanging around because he's got all the stories he's got. Uh, all the great connections he has. Uh, he's really a professional in every sense of the word, certainly from the sales side of things, because by the time I sort of came under his wing, he had really become a master of that and had rose, uh, had risen very high in the company as a, as a sales manager and as a trainer in a very competitive market in, in Southern California. And so he knew his stuff, and I was fortunate enough with him to to learn some of what he talked about. And I always thought he had such a fascinating story behind him. And where I make the connection back to you as a coach listening to this, there are so many times that I run into coaches and in my just regular conversations around the country on different college campuses, I get to talk to coaches and what they tell me is, man, Dan, I just, I'm a coach. I, I, I know my sport. I know the training. I know uh, game planning and everything, but I just don't think I'll ever be able to learn how to sell. And every time that I hear a coach say that, I think back to Jim Holvey. So uh, that's why I wanted to have him on the podcast because that he's just somebody that has been where you are, coach, but really even had farther to come. Because if you think you don't know anything about sales, I'm telling you, Jim Holvey, and you're going to hear his story had absolutely no idea how to sell. And so there's a lot of correlation in in the decisions that he made to learn how to sell and what I hope coaches will do in learning how to sell and the dedication that he put behind it. And I want the coaches that are listening to this, if you're one of those coaches, to, uh, to, to put the same dedication behind learning the art of selling. And that's really what that is. And so that's kind of the conversation that we're going to have today. I sat down with Jim in a diner in downtown Los Angeles uh, not too long ago, and we just had a conversation about his career and, and again, going through this process of learning how to sell. So as you listen to this, uh, you're going to feel like you're sitting at the table with us because you hear all the, the background sounds in the diner. And I just really had a great time learning from him and being reminded of uh, what a genius he is in terms of, of what he knows and how he can teach people how to be salespeople who don't think they are naturally born salespeople. So as we get started, uh, we talked to Jim and started out with what I think is a fairly simple question. We asked him, what was it that forced you into a world of sales and having to learn how to sell effectively? Well, I was a musician for uh, most of my life, young life, 15 years, and that career kind of played out, and uh, you can only do music. I was in the rock and roll uh, record industry. What year is that, are we talking? Uh, from 1966 to 1980, 81, and so... Uh, in that industry, like very similar to other industries, 
in the entertainment business, you're only marketable for a certain time frame. So uh, it was tough for us at this point to continue to be the new kids on the block and get record deals. And uh, so I, my choice was, what am I going to do now? I didn't want to end up playing in a bowling alley somewhere because uh, we were playing in Las Vegas and had records out, but none of them had become hits. And in talking to uh, one of the guys that were in charge of uh, record deals, he kind of told me what reality was. He said, gee, how long have you guys been in the business? I said, oh, 15 years. He said, well, I'll be honest with you, it's going to be very tough for you to continue to get a record deal if you haven't had a hit yet. So with that information, I went, wow, I've got to change careers. Uh, my older brother uh, worked for Motorola. He was in sales, and he had started out selling office furniture when he graduated from college. So I had that in the back of my mind of maybe sometime maybe becoming a business person. And uh, so that's kind of what got me thinking about, well, I've got to do something else. Uh, I can't continue to play in a band anymore. I guess I could teach guitar lessons, but I wasn't going to make enough money teaching guitar lessons to pay my mortgage. And I was married and had a, a two-year-old son at the time. So uh, I decided, well, maybe, maybe I could do sales. And that's kind of was kind of out of survival. So what was the the process then? Was okay. I'm going to get into sales. Yeah. And you just put applications out? Like, what was it? You didn't know what you were doing. Right. So, like, walk me through, like, what you did and how you got to, you know, the company that you ended up being with. Yeah, I had no idea what that world was about uh, because I was a musician. I dressed like a musician. I talked like a musician. What, what did you picture? Like, what did you think salespeople did? Or what did you think, you know, the business world was like as a 20-something musician? Uh, I didn't have a clue. I, all I knew was that they wore a suit and a tie. And what happened was I ran into a guy. Like we, I quit the band. We, we, we all broke up and said, okay, that's it. We're all going to go out and get other jobs. And so I went to a, I happened to go to a 7-Eleven. And I ran into a guy who used to follow our band around. And he asked me, uh, standing outside, he said, hey, aren't you in such and such group? And I said, yeah. He said, oh, you guys are great. He said, we, my wife and I used to see you in Vegas all the time. I said, oh, great. He, he said, when are you going to play there again? And I said, well, we're not together anymore, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And in that conversation, of course, he asked why. I didn't want to get into it. But he said to me, out of the blue, he said, you know, uh, what are you What are you going to do now? And I said, Well, I'm I'm I'll be working for a record label, which what well, didn't exist. I just made up this story, <laughs> being embarrassed, not to say, Well, I'm sitting at home right. watching uh, Oprah Winfrey. So he says to me out of the blue, he says, Well, you know, you could be in sales. I said, And I said, This was my perception of what sales was. I said, you mean like sell cars or something? That's all I knew. Right. Sell right. cars? I didn't know that there were 5,000 other products that you could sell and that you're selling in all kinds of industries when you may not right. know it. Right. That you're a salesman. But anyway, uh, he said, no. He said, uh, like office equipment. I said, 
well, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I started at a company called Pitney Bowes, and they make mailing equipment. And I said, what's a, what's, a, what's a mail machine? He said, well, if you go to a post office and you see that machine that's on the counter behind them, and they print out that tape, that's, that's what this company makes. And I said, okay. He said, well, all professional businesses, they don't put stamps on their envelopes. They all have these mailing machines. And this is what year? Do you remember? 81. And he said, that's what they do. And he said, they're like the Xerox or the IBM of that world. He said, I said, do you work there? He goes, no. He said, I sell computers. This is in 81. This guy was selling computers. They were probably as big as a room, you know. But he said, that's a good company to start at. And uh, I said, well, why do, you, why do you think I should be in sales? He says, you know what? You've got a good personality. And he said, after you guys would get done with your show, you always used to come out and thank the people in the audience for coming to the show. He said, that's all that sales is. Hmm. He says, you know, you have to know your product and all that. But he says, you have to have that personality and be a people person. You have to like people. Of course, I didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> I had, but you nodded your head. No, I, yeah, oh, sure. You know, <laughs> Ray, his name was Raymond. Yeah, I had no clue. To connect the years later, I started. You know, once I got into the field, even though even going through sales training, it still was a big blur to me. Right. But years and years later, after you make so many calls and you have so many conversations, you start to realize, oh, that's that's what it's about. It's really about trust. Hmm. And I, I realized that quite a few years in, when I became a manager. I used to tell, because you get kind of brainwashed uh, when you're with a big corporation in terms of product, and you're, you're, you're kind of told that you've got to know every, every nut and bolt on a machine in order to somebody to, to buy it. And the reality is, a customer really doesn't care. They really, what I realized was that you're really selling trust. Do they trust you in what it is that you're talking about? Right. It could be an athlete. A, a service or a product, but do they really trust you? They don't have time to hear all the uh, nuts and bolts of stuff. Right. But that was that was a realization that happened later. It oh, wasn't yeah. something that we were, you know, smart enough or experienced enough right. to know right at the start. So, so when you first started, do you remember sort of like you know the beginning when you get hired at at, at the company? And you start actually now, now you're actually having to sell. Yeah, yeah that was, uh, man, that was a scary situation. Luckily, I got hired. Uh, I went to the, uh, I had interviewed at a couple of companies, but uh, everybody looked at me with the deer in the headlights because I had no sales background. Right. So I ended up uh, typing up my own resume and I had to uh, embellish that a little bit, and I ended up getting hired with uh, four other guys. And we were in training, I think, for four weeks. And this is in L.A., Southern California. Yeah, yeah. Los Angeles office, downtown L.A. office. And, uh, you know, it was, it was training was real tough. It was, you know, you had to be in your seat at 8 in the morning and 8 till 5, and you sat in a room all day. And, uh, Which is the exact opposite of a musician life. Oh, right. Yeah. Or, yeah, you're on your own and you're learning how to play an instrument or something. Right. So here I am uh, in this training room, and I think it was four or six weeks. And 
I mean, you know, they give you these big binders, they're four inches thick. You're taking them home every night. Uh, you've got different instructors every day, and, and you're going through a combination of product training and sales training. But uh, talking about going out in the field, about the third weekend, everything is running together. You don't remember one thing that they told you the first week, you know, and uh, you're just overwhelmed. So I remember the third, about the third weekend, trainer walks in, eight in the morning, goes, okay, gentlemen, uh, you're going in the field today. And we went, what? Oh my God, the field? What are we gonna say? I mean, we didn't know what our names were at this point. He says, yeah, he said, uh, pull out uh, some of your cards, your account cards with uh, a company name and product and information was written on about a three by seven card and everybody had about 300 of these things in a box. He says, well, pull out about you know, 10 or 15 of those cards and I want you to go out there and make calls. Oh, man, we were scared to death. What What are we gonna say? Right. You know, but, but we were three weeks into training. I guess they assumed you were supposed to know what to say something by now, but the reality was you couldn't remember what your name was. So we get out in the, uh, we all go out in the parking lot, the four of us, and we're all going, oh my God, what are we going to do? Well, you know, we don't want to get fired. So we kind of small talked a little bit, and well, where are you going? Well, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to go over there. So it's like, now it's like nine in the morning, you know? So I get in my uh, 1966 VW Bug, which is what I was driving, and I drove to this building I had on Sunset Boulevard and I sat in my car in the parking meter on a side street for an hour <laughs> scared to death I had I had my business cards and I'm looking at these cards none of them made any sense I could see all oh, that's the name of the company that's the floor they're on but all the information on the, all the codes and all the, uh, yeah. yeah they look like hieroglyphics and I sat in the car for an hour going through these binders. You know, <laughs> there's like four binders or, you know, uh, member knowledge of postal knowledge or something. It was, you know, every possible rate. If you wanted to send a letter to Afghanistan, you know, how much it would cost if it weighed 12 ounces and, you know. Like you're thinking all this stuff, people are going to ask you all these questions. You know, that's kind of what they're telling you. You need to be prepared, you know. And so uh, I said, oh, my God, I have to do this. But it was the hardest thing to do to get out of the car, go to that building, go up to that floor. And I walked up and down the floor probably in the suites probably for 10 minutes. Still scary. So I knocked on one door. I remember this. And the gal opened the door up. She goes, hi, who are you? And I said, oh, I'm with Pitney Bowes. She said, well, come on in. She said, you want to see the machine? I said, uh, yeah, it's right there in the corner. If you have any questions, let me know. And she was the receptionist. Yeah. So I thought, oh, my God, I got in the door. So I went back to the mail room. I looked at the machine. and like, okay, there it is. You know, I, lifted, <laughs> I lifted up a little door, closed it. <laughs> And she came back, uh, everything okay back here? And I said, uh, yeah. Didn't ask her one fact-finding question. Nothing, no relationship building skills, you know. 
I said, okay, and I gave her my card and I walked out. So the whole day, that's all I did. I just visited people. Right. Okay, so I'll stop because college coaches, if they're not trained in any kind of sales, I think have the idea that I need to go out and see people, and maybe if they see me, they'll, you know, they like me, or I'll just sort of go through some of the, you know, the you know, basic... Just whatever the basic thing is for their sport to to be seen or to put a name on a list, and that was kind of the equivalent of what of what you were doing. Correct. So, so when when did it dawn on you that okay, I need to do more than this than just go in and and introduce myself and yeah, like what was the the evolution? Because again, you've got training on the products, Correct. but it sounds like you were learning how to do this on the fly. Yes. Well, you know, they gave you sales training, but you sat in a room and you watched uh, VHS tapes in those days. Mm-hmm. And the guy put a VHS tape on and he, the trainer would step out of the room. Or, and it was a guy that looked like uh, the guy on the uh, Mary Tyler Moore show that played the newscaster. What was his name? Yeah. Uh, the, I know. Who yeah, you're the news guy. Yeah. You know, they were actors. And, you know, in, in, the, in the videotape, there was no objections or anything. Right. You know, it'd be a guy. Perfectly. Yeah, Ted Knight. The guy, you know, the rep would, you know, knock on the door and it would, and on the front of the door, it'd say CEO, you know, or president. And he'd walk in there and, and it would be this Ted Knight looking guy with white hair and, come on in, what do you got? And he'd rattle this stuff off and, you know, it, was, it wasn't reality. Right. Which is really not good that that's that's what they were showing us well when the light bulb came on uh it was a it was a combination of going out on the calls myself and and getting nowhere you know talking to people they're looking at you like a deer in the headlights you know something's wrong you know what you said wasn't right because there's no response. And you've got, gee, the training, if I said A, they're supposed to say B, and it didn't, it didn't come back that way. And the other thing was when you rode with another rep as the observer, you would see the customer's reaction to them. Uh, so you, you learn from doing it, what's working, what's not working. And the other thing was, of course, I, I went and bought a lot of books and was reading different books and stuff, but... I think it was just a trial by error of seeing what worked and what didn't work. Maybe riding with somebody that was better, and then you realize, oh, I liked what they said. But one of the points you said about going out and meeting uh, recruits, in your case, people aren't going to buy anything from you from somebody they don't like. And I learned that. Uh, Everybody, you know, even though they went through sales training, maybe their personality is such that they didn't learn that. And you have to you have to be able to, again, gain that customer or that prospect's trust. Right. And it, it takes a certain amount of charm and, and being a likable person uh, to win that trust over. And build, you know, building relationships. They didn't even have that term when I started. Then it became a big thing, oh, you have to build a relationship. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means you have to find out about that person, their, their interests, they're, what do they care about? Not what you're selling. Right. What do they care about? What What do they want to accomplish in their business? So you're so used to pushing a product on somebody 
the reality is, what is it that they need and how can you help them? Right. Once you get that out of them first and they trust you and they believe that what you're saying that you really do want to help them, now it, it, it goes into some selling skills that you can learn, you know, how to close a deal or how to present a product to somebody that's appealing. But I think most people go out there and they're trying to shove something down somebody's throat and they wonder why they're not interested. Well, A, you don't know anything about them. They don't trust you. You know, you don't really know what they're trying to accomplish. You're just trying to shove your widget down their throat. I remember you telling me a story about kind of along those same lines that you were struggling and not making sales and you were sort of doing it the way that you were that sort of the books or those yeah. those VHS tapes the, the unrealistic way that it was going to go and things weren't going well and I remember you telling me a story about that you just decided to be yourself. Oh yeah. So what cuz that kind of goes yeah. to what you were just saying about they have yeah. to like you. So can Correct. you Tell me a little bit of background on that. that well, that was funny. I was that first year. I was going, you know, making all the calls every day, uh, seeing 10, 12 accounts. Nobody's buying anything. I'm kind of going through the motions, and I'd, I'd lit, every month I'd learn something to say about a product, or I'd learn the pricing, you know, because it was so overwhelming. But I wasn't selling anything. Nobody was buying anything. No, I'm not interested. Not interested. And you weren't bringing in any recruits. Correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In your world. Correct. And uh, so what happened was in the office, I had a good sense of humor and uh, I got a good personality and I was a people person. I, I like talking to people and stuff like that. My manager noticed that. And when she went out with a call with me, like I said, this is that first year where I was struggling. And she went out on a call with me, and we have what's called a curbside chat out in your car after the call. And she would critique the call, and she'd say, you know, you're a different person than you are when you're talking to a client versus when you're in the office. I said, what do you mean? I got very defensive. She said, well, you know, you're, you're kind of really stiff, and you're very formal. And, you know, in the office, you're kind of this, hey, you're this funny guy, and, you know, making jokes and this and that. And she says, you need to loosen up. And I got defensive. I said, well, you know, uh, I forget what her name was. Jackie, I'll say. Uh, I said, no, you know, I'm a professional salesperson. And so when I'm calling on an account, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a professional. I was defending myself. What she was telling me went right in over my head. I didn't know what she was talking about. You know, two different people, what? So, struggle, struggle, struggle. It's the summertime, it's hotter than heck. I worked all day. It's like July. I'm, I said, I gotta make one more call. Maybe I'll get something going. And I went into a, a medical office, which were the worst to call on. It's very hard to see doctors. You're screened out at the receptionist with the gal with the glass window. You know. <laughs> it was a dentist's office. So I walk in there, quarter to five. I walked in the door. I said, oh, man, this is great. There's nobody sitting in the lobby. There's no patients, right? right? Now, had that, when you walked in, had you made the decision, I'm just no. going to sort of cut up and... No. No, it was no. still, you were in professional salesperson oh, oh, yeah. mode. Okay. Yeah. I was I was tired. It was Friday. It was quarter to five. I worked all day. It's the end of the week. 
I opened, I went in this door, you know, such and such dentist, three dentists or whatever it was. And I looked around, I said, oh man, there's nobody here. Maybe I can actually have a conversation, you know. So I walk up to the glass window and there's four people behind there and they're singing happy birthday to one of the gals in the office. It's her birthday. And the window was open. And happy birthday to Sally. And there's a cake. And I'm looking through. So I started singing with them. Happy birthday through the glass. The lady, and the old, old gal in there, who looked like Aunt B, she turns around and she laughed. And she says, come on in. And she buzzed me in the door. So I go in with my attache case. And I go into the room, which was right behind, you know, the reception area. And Abby to so and so, you know, I catch the end of it, and she blows out the candles, right? And everybody claps, and I'm sitting there with these five, four or five women, and me standing there with my suit on, holding my attaché case. So she goes, so the lady goes, oh hi, she says, uh, are you with Smith Klein? And that was the medical pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical yeah. company. And I said, no. She said, well, I said, I'm with Pitney Bowes. She goes, oh, well, do you want a piece of cake? I said, sure, you know. So I sat in a chair and, you know, eating a piece of cake on my lap. She sits down next to me and she says, oh, Pitney Bowes, what do you do? I says, well, you know, we have postal equipment and stuff like that. She goes, oh, uh, I think she said, well, we need one of those. I went, oh my God, I've been there for a year. Nobody ever said to me they needed a Pitney Bowes postage meter. You know, so <laughs> I ate the cake. She said, well, call me next week. And she gave me her card. She's the office manager. So I'm driving back over the freeway in my Volkswagen, and the light bulb went bam. And I went, holy cow, that's what Judy, that was my sales manager, that's what she's been telling me. To get off of this formal, hey, how do you do? I'm with Pitney Bowes, you know, and like I was Ted Knighter, the guy from the Seinfeld show, uh, Pedal, what's his name? Who? The guy that owns the magazine from the oh, Seinfeld. Oh, yeah, Peterman. Yeah. Jay Peterman. I was like a Jay Peterman guy, you know. And I said, that's what she meant, that I needed to be myself and stop being this formal person shoving equipment, you know. You know, which they now call building a relationship, whatever. Right. You know. uh, but anyway, that, that's when the light bulb went on. Now, to take it a step further, I went overboard with it. So now I became Jerry Lewis on these calls because I thought, oh, well, now, you know, she wants me to be me. So now I go out Monday or next week, and I'm going, hey, how you guys doing? Oh, woohoo! You know, and I'm the Mr. Silly, and right. some people are laughing, some people aren't. So I'm, I'm stopping with this real formal, I'm with Pitney Bowes, how are you this morning? You know, I'm here to save you uh, time and money. You know, oh my God, you can't think any more cliche than that. Right. But you were literally taught, you were taught to have a general benefit statement, GBS. I still remember the acronym. What's your GBS, Holvey? What are you going to use this morning? You know, and you were taught different things. And one of them was, hi, I'm with Pitney Bowes, and I'm here to save you time and money. Oh, God. You know, why, why don't you ask them how they're doing for the day, or what do they do in their business, or what do they want to accomplish? You know? uh, so anyway, uh, so I became Jerry Lewis 
it went over the top and I was getting in the door you know more and then I got a complaint call I got back to the office this is about a month in after changing into this comedian now and my manager called me in she says hey can you know I got back to the office at five she says can you come in and I need to talk to you about something going and what's up she says did you call on ABC company this morning and I said yeah she says well I lady called up don't go back in there again I said what why I said they need a new electronic scale she goes well they think you're on drugs or you were drunk <laughs> that's, that's what she said she said that's they, a sign you've gone too far yeah she says they think you were either drunk or on drugs <laughs> so don't go in there for six months and I said well what did I do she says well tell me about the call I said, well, I went in there, you know, and, and Judy told me to be myself, and I was cracking some jokes with the receptionist, and I got back in the mail room, and I found out what they were doing. She said, well, I think you went overboard with it. And I said, you know what? Now that I think about it, I remember the gal said something weird to me when I was in the mail room. She said something like, are you okay, or something like that, or, you know. And I didn't know what she was talking about. I said, I, I said, I know what I did. So now I dialed it down. Right. And uh, so now I, I, I had the, the right mix of being myself, being charming. But then I had to polish up the other part, which was finding, finding out what their needs are. But uh, the most important thing, and, and it took me a while to learn, is building that trust and the relationship. That takes time. You know, to uh, to really communicate to your customer, hey, I'm here to help you. I just want to be a rock and roller, try to share the feeling. Take some time, turn up a crazy twist or two. That's right, Jim Holvey, his heart was really still in rock and roll. It was still in that music industry that, that he loved and he was good at. And, and yet life and professional circumstances took him in another direction. So I just want to jump in here and, and tell you as a coach that it wasn't easy. If you're listening to this and you're thinking, man, Jim made this transition. I don't know if I could ever learn to do what he did. Well, you can. And it wasn't always smooth for Jim Holvey. He had a lot of little bumps along the road, some of them serious that he had to correct, and some of them funny, including how do you dress from being a a rock star and moving into the professional sales world? Well, you know, I was switching industries, and you have to dress accordingly. Uh, And I'll tell you two, I'll tell you one story, and I'll tell you the funniest story secondly. But when you learn, when I learned about dressing accordingly, uh, you know, I was in management a few years later, and I was the suit and tie and the cufflinks and the and the watch and the shoes and all that. And when I took over the Bakersfield office, which is a small office in a uh, a town where the industry is agriculture, so there's not law firms and uh, accounting firms and big manufacturing firms. And when I was up there to take over the office for a couple of weeks, and I was going to start riding with reps, uh, I had a field day scheduled with a gal. And uh, I said, okay, we're going to go out tomorrow. We're going to go in the field. 
And she said, Holvey, leave the suit in the motel room. I said, what? She says, this is, we're, we're in Bakersfield. Leave the suit in the motel room. I said, what? What are you talking about? You know, here we go again. I'm holding on to this professional image. She says, no, we're calling on really small companies and they're small town people and uh, just business casual. So I said, okay. And she was 100% right. So I had a business casual shirt on. I wasn't all dressed up to the nines and the people were wonderful up there because they were in a different world. The funny story is when so, I, sort of, but the lesson there is know your environment, and you know. So if you're a coach, sometimes if you're on campus and you're hosting a family, maybe that's visiting that you've been recruiting, they might want to see you or expect to see you in a polo shirt with the the the, uh, the team's logo, the school logo on it, or something, because that's maybe their expectation. But it's just it goes, goes back to knowing knowing what the expectation is, maybe from the customer's viewpoint or how they're going to react to it. You're exactly right. That's a, you know, image is a big thing. If you've never met the person, right, and you walk in cold or in your case, like I said, this coach is introducing himself to a family on campus or maybe maybe he's going to their home. Right. What do they expect you to be dry? You're going to come in there looking like a bum, like you just got off the court. And right. You got, you know, your shoes are all run down and you got a, a wrinkled shirt on because you're sitting in the car or... You know, so it could go either way. It could be you oh, need yeah. to dress up or you need to dress down, depending on the yeah, situation. Yeah, you got to kind of keep that in mind that that you don't. What, what's the old saying? You don't have a, a second chance to make a first impression. So their first impression of you is going to be, hey, this guy's got it together. He's successful or gal. They're successful. You know, it's important. Image is important. Being well groomed and everything. So anyway. When I interviewed at Pitney Bowles, coming from the entertainment industry, I didn't have any business suits or business shoes or anything. You know, what I had was a, a green velvet sport coat and green slacks, and you know, like silver shoes or something. <laughs> it must have looked like a, a Clarabelle the Clown, but I was married to a Playboy bunny at the time. So when I was off the road for a couple of weeks, we would go out to, you know, a, a nightclub or we'd go to the Playboy Mansion and I'd dress like an entertainer, you know. And so uh, I had this interview at Pitney Bowes. I didn't, I didn't know how to dress. Nobody told me. Oh, you better go buy a business suit and a white shirt and a blue tie. Or, you know. So I walked in there with my green velvet jacket on with a yellow shirt and a green tie and oh my god you know thinking that I was you know Mr. Mr. Cool you know, the opening act at the Tropicana oh, on the strip or something yeah, I look like uh, I look like some uh, insult comedian guy you know with a cigar and a toupee on you know <laughs> one of those you know one of those caricatures yeah. that they do you know on Saturday Night Live and uh, yeah, that's how I must have looked. So, uh, anyway, I walked in there, and I, I remember everybody kind of looking at me like, "Who's this guy?" But I, I thought, man, I looked around. I thought, boy, what a bunch of squares! You know, you're a musician. You thought everybody was a square. And luckily, of course, I got hired. But luckily, one of the managers took me aside and said, "Hey, uh, you, you need to get a uh, business suit." I said, "What's wrong? What's wrong with the clothes I got?" You know. No, he said, you know, this is a different da-da-da-da-da. 
And I'll never forget it. He told me, he gave me the name of the store, Academy Suits, was downtown LA in the garment district. You should go down there and get a suit. Just pick up a blue suit, a couple of white shirts, and a couple of ties. He said, cost you 150 bucks. And that's what I did. It's a tricky situation Hard to say just what the outcome will be That's a little bit of Jim Holvey on lead guitar for the mob. Early 70s. Good stuff. You know, but after he got out of music and into sales and rose up the ranks of manager, he really assumed a lot of the same duties that you as a coach assume. In terms of finding the right people, his team that he had to hire and recruit and train it, it, it really determined his success in the same way, Coach, that the players you recruit determine your success. And I had Jim talk a little bit about his philosophy just on managing people and finding the right people and how to look for the, the recruits, if you will, that are going to make your program successful in the same way that it made his business successful. Well... To be a successful pay, uh, salesperson is a combination of a lot of elements, and I, you know, it, that's a it's a tough question. It's like how do you make it in the rock and roll business or any kind of a general question like that. So I would say, and this is something that somebody complimented me on, and they said. Jim, you know what the difference between you is and other people? And I said, what? He says, you're a student of the game. And in other words, if you don't really have the interest, and this goes with sports or anything, anything, actor, musician, computer programmer, you know, uh, small business owner, you have to have the passion, number one, to want to be good in that, in that arena. So I, I'm assuming that you know if you're a coach and you're gonna you're trying to recruit people, you've got to have the passion to really want to do it and say I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna be the best at this, and and then put the time into learning it. After that, are the things of uh, of course it's a numbers game, you know how many people did you reach out to, and then we're back to the thing about learning the right things to do, and that's that's learning how to build relationships, how to build the trust with that athlete that you're trying to recruit. So if you were to list sort of the unsuccessful traits, then it sounds like it centers around not taking the time to learn or having no interest in learning sort of the the details of your craft. Correct. So for a coach, I think what I've noticed is there's a lot of attention and, and fun involved in learning a new offense or learning training techniques related to the sports. Yeah. Uh, not so much maybe when it comes to recruiting, organization, some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that's really going to make you uh, successful. Is that fair? I mean, that- oh, no, you're exactly right. Uh, them spending the majority of the time, like you said, on the, on the offense and the defense and all that would be comparable to a salesperson spending all their time learning the products, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But when it comes to selling the products, they're missing... The other part, right? And so the relationship that you're talking. Yeah, about. and and I would imagine the coaches and their staff that get the best recruits 
if, I bet you if you sat down with them and you found out what they do and to what extent do they get into the actual recruiting, the family of that recruit and all the in-depth stuff to be able to attract them to their school versus a guy who can't get anybody to do his school. He's going, man, I can't get anybody to come to my school. Well, you're missing, you know, all of the elements. Right, right. And, and you know, it's a double-edged sword. I'm, I'm, I'm sure as a coach, you know, you have to have a winning season, so you have to spend a lot of time putting that piece together once you get the players. But you've also got to put an enormous amount of time and, and, and right time, you know, learning, learning the skills, having the passion for wanting to improve of, of the recruitment process. Right. So you have to have both things going, right. you know. So you mentioned you asked a rhetorical question that somebody might ask about, like, it'd be like asking, how do you become a rock and roll musician? So answer that question. What, what does it take to be a good rock and roll musician? Because I'm just wondering if there's some correlations then into being a good salesperson. But what made you, because you had a good level of success. Yeah. You wrote hits and you, were, you performed which, and got paid for it. So let's, let's qualify you or label you as a success in that industry. What did it take to become a good, a, you know, yeah. somebody good at rock and roll? Well, I've had people ask me that, and it's, it comes down to the same thing. When I look back and I go, well, why did I, how did I make it? You know, what was so different about me? And when I went through a personal inventory of my life as a little kid, it all came down to passion. Mm. You know, I started playing the guitar when I was 12 years old. My mother told me this 40 years later when they were in their 80s. She said, you know, you used to fall asleep with the guitar in your lap in bed. I said, really? She goes, yeah, I don't remember that. So you're back to this passion for this, whatever you're going to pursue, whether you're going to recruit people or you're going to sell copy machines, you got to have the passion for it. If you have the passion and the interest, you're going to put the hours in. And then you got to put the hours into it. What was the book that came out? Uh, 10,000 hour. Yeah. You know, he talked about, he took uh, he took everybody that was successful, Bill Gates, Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan, and he, he uh, threw the theory out of saying, man, that guy is blessed. Right? He said in the opening paragraph, the chapter, he says, how many times you hear somebody go, man, Michael Jordan, man, God blessed him with a talent. No, Michael Jordan put in 100,000 hours shooting baskets till 2 in the morning and, you know, practicing in his moves. I mean, you've read all the stories about him on those Saturday mornings. He'd invite certain players to his house, and they worked out for four hours. Besides the, the regular practice, you know, if you got invited to his house, that was a big deal. And uh, But anyway, it, it all, you know, rock and roll, it's the same thing. I go, man, it's the passion to do it. And then putting the time into it and then learning it. It all, you know, sales, recruiting, everybody can do it. But if you put the time into it and you care about it and you really believe in it, you can, it's a thing that can be learned. You're not born as a great recruiter. Any of those guys that are doing it at a successful rate at the, at the schools, they put the time and the passion and the energy and they figured out and said, I got to change this, I got to do that. Right. That's not working. That's what they did. Right. But you don't hear that. All you know is, oh man, how'd they get that guy? Well, you know, if you find out what the story was and you had a, a video camera 
hovering around that coach from day one. When he started to go after that athlete, you'd go, holy cow, I don't do a fraction of that yeah. stuff. I don't even say that stuff to an athlete. Right. Where the, oh, I see why the guy went with him and he didn't come with me. Right. You know, one of the things you're taught at, in sales, and you don't, you don't use it because you don't have the confidence until years and years later, when you lose a deal to a customer, you're supposed to go back in there and say, can I ask you a question? Why did you go with so-and-so? They'll tell you. Right. Well, you didn't do A, B, C, D, and E. Yeah. Your price was too high. Uh, be honest with you, I didn't like you. You came in here trying to shove uh, the copy machine down my throat. You didn't listen to me. Right. You didn't ask me about my business. Right. So and, would you do that? Would you go in afterwards occasionally and oh, ask yeah. the... Yeah, I did. Not in the beginning. I didn't right. have the confidence right. to. I just go, oh, the guy was a jerk. Right. You know, da 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 da. I didn't know how complicated it was about, you know, the personality part, the tr- earning the trust, right. finding out what they. I didn't. I didn't know any of that. It took years for me to learn that. Right. You know, and and sales got more sophisticated over the years, right. too. You know, but uh, years and years later, if I lost a deal, I would I would go in there. You know, and I I had the the friendly. Uh, personality to be able to say hey Bob how you doing today and I get the guy to open up right at that point it was usually price right because it wasn't the likability part or my product didn't have the uh, the features so at that point it was it was usually price what um, so if someone's been listening to this and they are now not a natural salesperson or they feel like I got into coaching because I like to coach and I like the kids and I want to stay at the college and and now all of a sudden they have to figure out they they find out oh my gosh I got to go out and actually recruit a team and they better be good because that's you I joke with coaches all the time it's amazing how good of a coach you become when you recruit great players it's just easier to go it's easier to coach oh yeah you're only as good as the people it's the same thing with sales management I had to recruit salespeople from other companies, and uh, you know I learned this right away. I mean, I'm a, I was only as good as the people that I had working for me. I could sit up and have these meetings and tell them what to do all day long, and man, I did. I mean, you know, I had all kinds of projects and strategies and direct mail pieces and demo days and all the stuff that you the tools. You know, to try to win the game, they give you all that stuff. You learn it as a rep, and then you become a manager. But then, after you lay all this stuff out, and you're still coming in with a losing season, or in my case, I'm 80% of goal instead of 100. I'm going, man, what the heck? I I did everything, and I went. It's not about the stuff. It's about the players. And if I don't get some good hitters in here, I'm screwed. Now my recruiting skills got better. Yeah. Well, how am I going to get good people in here? I got to manage this person out. And I, having been an athlete, I said, you know, this is identical to being a coach. Being a sales manager is being like a coach on a, on a basketball, baseball, football team. Right. It's the same thing. Right. I'm only as good as uh, as the people I hired if they can execute my plan. Right. I can have plans up the wazoo, but you know, people go out there, they don't execute. So that's when my recruiting skills sharpen. And I used to go out, man, I went to clothing stores, car dealerships. Sometimes we worked through, uh, you know, personnel agencies, but a lot of times the company wasn't going to pay the fee. 
you know, they'd have they say, well, we're going to pay the fee so you can go through a uh, a, a headhunter. Oh, great! Now I'm going to get all people that sold before. Right. But if they said, no, we're not paying the fee anymore. You got to find them yourself. Oh man, I'm out there beating the streets and managing the salespeople, and I'm doing double duty. You know, at night and weekends, I'm going to to retail stores that maybe sell electronic equipment, or I'm going to a car dealership, pretending I want to buy a car, and uh, you know, trying trying to some guy, real sharp guy, comes up to me and starts to sell me a car. I'm going, hey, you know, I get his number and then I call him on the side and say, hey, you know, why don't you get into a different industry? Right. I think right. you can make more money here. Right. So it's a lot of work. Right. You know, yeah. but any anybody, when you're talking about a, a young coach starting a, having to recruit a team, he can learn how to do it. Right. It's, it's, it's not rocket science. Okay. So the last thing I'll ask is then, then you have this coach that feels like I didn't get into it for this reason or maybe I don't feel like I'm a good salesperson a good recruiter what would be the the first two or three things that you would say here's what you got to start doing or here's the first if you want to turn it around here's what I would recommend doing and just you know the, the lessons that you've learned in several decades of sales and management what would you advise a coach to do in that way I would say to try to whatever materials are out there that exist and I don't know that world. Uh, whatever materials are out there that exist, I would bury myself in them and put the time and hours into learning it. And then it's just a matter of, of executing what you're learning. That's, I mean, that's the only way you learn. You, 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 you got to learn the basics, all the things I talked about, trust, selling skills, all those kinds of things, putting the time in, and then just doing it. And every recruit that you try to get, you'll learn from it. You'll learn uh, what you should have said, what you didn't say. You know, be a, be observant of what's going on. But you got to put the time into it. I'm sure there's plenty of uh, programs and stuff out there now that didn't exist 20 years ago. Those guys are winging it just based on their natural caring for people. You know, the, the early coaches that would get the great players. You know, the John Woodens and those people from my era. You know, I'm sure once you build up a winning program, just like if you have a, a, a successful brand like a Xerox or Microsoft, you're automatically going to attract good employees mm-hmm. based on that brand. But what about all the other mom-and-pop companies that are trying to get good employees too? Well, you gotta you gotta beat the streets, but you also you have to have. What do they say? Luck is when opportunity meets preparedness. Mm-hmm. Right? That's luck. Yeah. In other words, this coach has got to get prepared. So when he comes across that athlete from that smaller school, and maybe he's got a couple other people knocking on his door, man, you got to be the guy. You you got to have your stuff together more than the other person does, which means you got to put the time in and learn and study. And every 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 recruit you try to get, you'll learn from that, and you'll keep getting better and better every time you do it.
And that's how our conversation with Jim Holvey ended. We want to thank him for being the guest and sharing his insights with college coaches. We have one more little bonus track of audio for you at the end if you want to stick around for a minute. Uh, I did want to, again, say thanks to Jim. And and really the, the last message I want to get across to a coach listening to this is that it is your job to learn how to recruit, which really comes down to the art of selling and learning that art and dedicating time to getting good at it, understanding who your audience is and how they communicate and the information that they're looking for. That is at the core of being successful. And I think one of the big talents that Jim Holvey had that he had to foster and learn was the ability to listen and to adapt to the environment he was selling in. Such an important lesson. And again, I want to thank him for not only being on the broadcast, but but also just being a friend and a mentor and somebody that every time I get to be around him and have the chance to spend time with him, I'm going to jump at that chance because he's just a fantastic, colorful character that you can't help but love. And I really owe a lot to him, and I just want to say thank you, Jim, for everything you've done for me, especially in helping to launch my career in sales, marketing, and training and management, which has led to the opportunity to teach coaches the same things. Okay, a little bit of bonus material here. One of the things that we asked Jim to share was his funniest story from his career in sales. And the thing that that uh, I will kind of caution you with is that when you're, you've been in sales this long and uh, you're been to a lot of places, you've seen and heard a lot of things and just had those crazy experiences, uh, you know, it's going to show in the story that he chose to tell. So I'm warning those of you who are uh, not wanting to hear something uh, very PG-13 rated R, um, somewhere in that in that field, um, stop listening now. Uh, this is your warning. Because the, sherry, the story that he's going to be sharing is uh, one where he was on a sales call with a uh, sales rep that uh, they walk into a business and I'm gonna let Jim take it from there uh, and, and hopefully you uh, you find this to be a, kind of a funny way to end to end this session uh, so listen at your own risk but uh, I think it's pretty funny well one of the funniest stories uh, that I can think of and there's been a lot of them a lot of crazy stuff but there was a gal that uh, was on my team, uh, very, very uh, involved with her church, Christian gal. Kind of, she kind of wore her faith on her sleeve, and uh, and was all would always talk about how involved in the church she was and signing up for various programs and stuff like that. And so, you know, wonderful person, had wonderful family. So. She got assigned to my team this one year and uh, lined up a field day. And we went out to a place in the valley, an account in the valley. Well, I think it still exists, I'm not sure, but back then the valley had a lot of uh, X-rated video companies that were out there. This is the San Fernando Valley, California, Southern California. They're kind of known for, you know, those kinds of companies, pornographic stuff and you know, all kinds of weird companies like that that made uh, pornographic videos. So anyway, we go out and she had a couple appointments made. We went on a couple of calls, they were fine, and we go into this one big company. 
uh, in an industrial area. We walked in the door and they had, uh, we were going to call on them uh, for their UPS shipping application because we sold a UPS shipping system. So anybody that was shipping out a lot of products UPS wise was a, was a good prospect for us to sell our computerized shipping system. So she could tell by the uh, company of what they current equipment they had, which was old, that they were doing a lot of UPS. So we walk in the lobby, and sitting behind the desk is this receptionist, and you know she's got her blouse opened up, three buttons, and it's all hanging out, and the woman's like in her 50s, and there was this movie poster behind her, but it wasn't an X-rated poster or anything. It was just a big movie poster, but this gal behind the uh, reception desk was like this voluptuous person, and she was an older gal, so it was just kind of odd. Like, you know, usually you'd see a 20-year-old gal with a suit on or something as a receptionist, so this was kind of like, whoa, you know. So the gal that I was with, sales rep, says, oh, we have an appointment with Mr. So-and-so, and... uh, uh, and she says, oh, I'll call him up and let him know you guys are here. Uh, so she makes the call, la, 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 la. The guy says, come on back. So she says, well, just go through those doors, walk down the hallway, and then get to the end, make a left. So we go through these doors. Now, picture this. We walk down this hallway. Both sides of the hallway were glass. All the way down the hallway, there were banks of monitors, like end to end, stacked from floor to ceiling. It was a wall of monitors on both sides of this glass hallway. They were duplicating tapes, VHS tapes. So, you know, they probably were making uh, 500 at a shot or something. Well, we go through this door, we're walking down the hallway, and you like in Star Trek or something, and out of the corner of your eye, you kind of look over, and here is a porno video going, and it's a close shot of them in a sex act, right? Like, like right there, and there's 500 images of this sex act, and, and so I saw it out of the corner of my eye, she saw it, and man, we just beelined down the hallway, neither one of us saying anything because, you know, my face is turning red. She's ready to kill herself. We get out into the warehouse. You know, it's a funky warehouse. and There's guys putting stuff in, you know, video boxes and and things, and there's an assembly line, and and the guy goes, hey, you guys putting those, come on back here, right? So we go back there, and here's this guy you know, with the unshaven and this kind of homeless-looking guy, he's the warehouse manager, right? And there's a, a desk there, and he's got these pornographic posters all over the place. And we're like, she's, this gal is, she's just like stuttering. She's a lost for words. And I took over the call, and I said, hey, hi, Bob, you know, I'm Jim, this is so-and-so. And we're with Pitney Bowes, and uh, we're here to talk about your shipping. She's not saying a word. She's ready to run out of there. And I said, what do you ship out there? And this is the final end of the story, close to it. 
the guy grabs a big rubber dildo and he shakes it in their face and says, Honey, this is what we ship out. And the gal turned around and started heading for the door. And I went, he goes, what's wrong with her? I said, uh, we'll talk to you later. And I went running after her. We ran through the hallway. We got out to the car. I'm never calling on this account again. She's, I'm going to call HR when we get back to the office. And that's it. And we're not making any more calls today. And we jumped in the car. We didn't say a word. We went back to the office in Van Nuys. She immediately ran and uh, got picked up the phone, and she called the gal, the gal at HR. And I just went to my office, and that was one one funny story. <laughs>